We begin this Christmas morning by traveling together to London, Trafalgar Square, across from the National Gallery. There, in the midst of the hectic swirl of London life, is a neat and tidy 18th century church. Actually, its foundation is much older than that. In the Middle Ages, a church was erected here for the monks from Westminster Abbey, who would be working in the adjacent fields. Too far away to return to the abbey each time they heard the faint ring of the summoning bell throughout the day, the monks needed a chapel nearby in which to recite their daily prayers. So this was it, St. Martin in the Fields. In the portico of St. Martin's on the porch, just outside the main entrance, and thus always exposed to the damp and cold and wind and grit, is a five-foot cube of gray stone, a sculpture created for that space in 2008. Most of it really is just a smooth stone block with not much chiseled away. So many tourists milling about it mistake it for part of the building's structure. But around its smooth sides and incised in all caps are the words, In the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and lived among us. The top of this cube, by contrast, is jagged and rough, as if unfinished. And emerging from the top, out of the serrated stone five feet up, is a newborn baby boy, made of the same stone. It's almost as if the block itself is birthing him, nestled as he is within the top side, a thick umbilical cord still curving from his belly. In order to see the infant, you have to mount a thick step to look upon it. Now, let's step inside the church. It's a tidy, Gregorian interior space. Think clean, white, and cream colors all around. If you walk all the way up to the altar and glance up at the ceiling just above where the priest stands for Mass, you'll notice a a Baroque stucco swirl of clouds in the middle of which you will find, in gilt letters, what's called the Tetragrammaton the four consonants of the sacred name of God in Hebrew. So sacred to the Hebrews was this name that it was never to be pronounced, never to be sullied by human lips. Biblical scholars surmise that the letters would have sounded out Yahweh. In the space between these two depictions of God, the baby in the portico and the divine name above the altar, is the nave, the upside-down ship that carries all of humanity through tempest and calm, kind of like this space here. For several decades now, St. Martin's has maintained a lively social ministry to the poor and homeless, those whom society dismisses as dirty, dispensable. The church is always open during the day, and so it serves as a refuge to the homeless. Here, like those monks of yore, they can pray. They are sometimes fed, and they are allowed to sleep. Amidst the swirl of tourists, during the noontime Holy Communion service and into evening prayer, you can hear their gentle snoring from the side box pews, overburdened mendicants sunk safely in slumber. 
St. Martin in the Fields embodies the truth of this morning's gospel. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. As you may know, the word here is a translation of the Greek word logos, which is the ordering principle of the cosmos, as expressed in Greek philosophy as far back as Heraclitus in the 6th century B.C., but prominently in the Stoics of the 4th century B.C. This logos is the equivalent of the Hebrew concept of wisdom, through whom God in the book of Proverbs creates the world. So this highly philosophically and cosmically charged passage in John that we just heard this morning serves as an overture for the whole gospel. It talks about the word, the logos, the wisdom. Matthew and Luke, by contrast, have for their intro the nativity narratives, the, which we heard last night, which talk about Bethlehem and which we'll continue to hear for the next few weeks. The narratives we see on Christmas cards and in children's pageants. So the artist of that stone block, Mike Chapman, is making a connection with the word made flesh around the stone, that very abstract opening in John, to the baby Jesus of Matthew and Luke on top of the stone. So the point I'm trying to make in all of this is as much an artistic as a theological one. And that is that the sacrosanct God whose guilt-lettered name is not to be pronounced and can only be approximated by the sound Yahweh, has peeled itself off that altar's ceiling, traversed the church's main aisle between the snores of the homeless and the chatter of tourists, stepped outside the front doors, and been born amidst the teeming masses in all our joys and sorrows. From a stony, humble earth, Jesus was born, emerging among us as the incarnation of God's love. And like that umbilical cord that connected Jesus to Mary at his birth, God came down to reconnect us intimately, lovingly, to the divine. Because the word, the logos, the wisdom, the very ordering principle of the cosmos is love. And that's what we celebrate this Christmas morning, a reconnection with God through the birth of Jesus. And we give thanks for the teachings he left us on how to live lives of compassion, forgiveness, and sacrifice. And we commit once more to embodying the faith we have learned over the years and putting that faith to work for the healing of the world. As dark and hard as things have become, Salvation only becomes possible when we shine light into that darkness. And now let us travel back from London to Los Gatos. Yesterday morning, one of our regular homeless neighbors, Mike, came to get his mail. The church serves as a mailing address for a few dozen people in the area. When I first met Mike a few years ago, he told me he'd lived on the streets for 16 years, though he only looked about 30 years old. He was handsome, the kind of scruffy model type you'd find in an edgy clothing ad. <laughs> but yesterday, he didn't look good at all. Polite as ever, Mike wasn't making a lot of sense when he talked. 
After getting his mail, he sat in our courtyard on the bench outside my office. I didn't realize for a while that he was there, but when I did, I saw that he had splayed all his things out on the ground and had taken off his shirt and his shoes, even though it was cold outside. From his cadaverous torso, it was clear he'd been ravaged by addiction. When the AA group started gathering in the parish hall nearby for their 1230 meeting, I had to ask Mike to put his shirt back on. Once he understood what I was saying, he complied, mumbled a few things, smiled, and then gathered his stuff after a while and left. The word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. Whenever I have to preach on this overture passage from John, my heart kind of sinks. <laughs> what more can I possibly say about this abstract text that comes around every Christmas season insisting on another explication, a, a yearly bringing forth from its rock a stream of wisdom for you? But this year, William reminded me of that sculpture at St. Martin's. And Mike in the courtyard suggested to me that Sometimes the word is made flesh and dwells among us in a shape and form we'd rather not see, calling us to a deeper compassion in response and to the knowledge that we are all connected, that we belong to each other, the rich and the poor, the suffering and the not suffering. So for this year, at least, there seems to be a lot to say. It's my message for you this morning is how will you enflesh the word in the year to come? Once the Christmas cheer has worn off, the leftovers eaten, the presents put away, how can you keep the spirit of Christmas alive? I wish each and every one of you the merriest of Christmases, but if the lessons Jesus brought us in his birth don't stay with you year long, in some ways you're a tourist in this Christmas season, visiting for a few weeks to marvel and wonder, gladdening and spoiling yourself and those you love with food and shopping you'd never do back home in the rest of the year. So my friends, take it home with you. Bring the word back into your daily life. Embody and enflesh its message of divine love throughout the year, especially caring for those who can't seem to bring it to life for themselves. Be kind, be loving, put yourself out there every once in a while, make a difference. There's too much of the Grinch and the Scrooge already in the world. Near the end of his life, Aldous Huxley, the 20th century writer and thinker, most famous for the dystopian novel Brave New World, made this observation after a life of much high thinking and intellectualism. He said, it's a little embarrassing that after 45 years of research and study, the best advice I can give people is to be a little kinder to each other. The word kind is related to the word kin. And you know we are all kin to one another. May this Christmas season make you kinder towards your fellow human beings, your sisters and brothers in the family of God. May your sometimes stony surface give birth once more to the love that came down long ago to change the world. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Amen.